Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Infinite Potential of Being Human podcast. Revealing and unconcealing, what is it that is getting in the way of our potential as human beings? Exploring the power of the body-mind and our current relationship with reality. Together, I want to dive into an inquiry into what is happening in our world today and who we are being and how we are living in it, both individually and as a species. What is it that is keeping us stuck, causing us to repeat the same patterns and cycles? What is getting in the way of our potential and our evolution as a species? I'm Nikki Clinch, and I am your host. I will be sharing the science, research, and many human stories on why we are the way we are and what is required for us to outgrow our current way of being and birth a new possibility for ourselves. Because now is the time to remember and to discover our infinite potential of being human. Welcome to the Infinite Potential of Being Human podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode two of the Infinite Potential of Being Human podcast. I am Nikki Clinch, and I am your host and speaker and teacher and fellow human being (laughs) in companionship with you. Today's episode, we're going to dive deeply again into another blind spot and an important distinction because, you know, this current blind spot has a major impact on who we're being in our world and how we're living in it. Today, we're going to speak about the body, the mind, the identity, and speaking about those three aspects as not separate. In fact, the body-mind is one, two sides of the same coin, and both the body-mind entanglement gives us our sense of self, our sense of identity, the entire story of who we think we are is made up of emotional memory, experiential and textural sensations, senses, smells, thoughts, and a concept, a concept of who we have told ourselves that we think we are. So today we're going to dive into this whole design function that gives us the story, the me, the I, that we think that we are and that gives us our world. So before I go any further, I want to begin with asking you a question. Have you ever found yourself in the middle of an argument with your partner or friend or boss and you are completely taken over by whatever it is that you're fighting for? And it is an absolute flooding of emotional experience. There's even temperature. It can be hot or cold. It has a kind of a textural sensory context to it. It can be fuzzing or buzzy or or sickening or dense or intense. And there are thoughts that just flooding your mind. And you are absolutely taken over by this something 
And have you ever noticed when you have a little tiny millisecond when you catch yourself and you literally think, whoa, I am acting totally bonkers right now, but you can't stop it? (laughs) I'm laughing because I identify. Hands up. (laughs) If you are human, this relates to you. It's important to laugh because these are painful topics. But they're painful topics, but they're also universal. I want to remind you again, this is not a you problem. You are not broken. You're not failing. This is a human problem. It's their blind spots consistent with the human species, and you just happen to also be human. And we don't know we're in blind spots. We just think that's the way it is until we outgrow the blind spot. And that's the intention of these episodes, is to dissolve and pierce the veils of illusion that are coloring who we think we are and how the world appears to us and therefore how we live in it and and keeps us stuck and limited and small and disempowered and then eventually totally resigned to any possibility of infinite potential for you or me or us. And when we dissolve those blind spots, it gives us a new appearing of the possibility of who we are and how the world can appear and what is infinitely available. So the body, the mind, and the identity is what we're diving into today. When I asked the original question, what takes over us is a full body-mind experience. Have you noticed? When you're in the fight with your partner about the washing up or about the bank account or about your schedule or about the children or your boss or your teacher or your best friend, it is a full body-mind flooding. Something has you. Have you noticed that? Something seems to have you and is giving you what to say, is giving you how to behave. It's almost like you've been hijacked by something. And even just let that in, because maybe that's a new moment of awareness for you when something seems to have you. You can tell when something has you, meaning the repeating pattern, the mechanical repeating pattern of the body-mind. You can tell if it has you because you don't really have much choice, meaning you can't seem to stop it, You may have enough awareness to see that something has you, but you don't seem to have enough power to stop it. That is a full body-mind sensorial experience. And boy, does it feel real, doesn't it? When you are flooded by it, whether it's about your bank account or your partner or the government or Instagram, it takes you. And it feels real, as real as it can be. And that is the world that you are living in. It doesn't, it doesn't appear like something has flooded you and it's coloring how the world appears and you are currently blinded by something. No, it feels real and true and sometimes even justified 
and it gives you the whole set of behaviors and actions and words to say. And even sometimes the words that come out seem to be repetitive. What I am unconcealing right now is not a comfortable unconcealing, but it's an important one, that something mechanical seems to take us over. And that is what ends up living our day whether it's around our bank account and our relationship with money, whether it's around our relationship with intimacy, whether it's in relation to business, our voice, self-expression, authority, the establishment, the government. I said government. (laughs) It's a very triggering topic. Whatever it is, when it floods us, it has us but we don't live like it has us. We get lost in it as if it is real and true. And then it gives us, we recognize it. In fact, we recognize it. I'm going to go into that in a minute. As real and true, and it then gives us our actions and behaviors and words It gives us an entire way of being. And those actions and behaviors and words govern the unfolding of our life. So this is kind of important. So whatever it is that has us has a massive impact on how your world is unfolding. The relationships that you have, we have, the way we work, the way we express ourselves, the way we are with our bodies, the way we are with each other. And this is consistent, not just to some of you and us, but this is universal to the human species. Have you ever noticed when you're watching the news and it feels like you're watching some bad B-movie, particularly lately, or you're watching some political rally or some kind of debate and you're literally watching them going, is this really for real? Am I watching a terrible movie right now? How can this be real? How is it that we as human beings, we seem to understand what the right thing to do is or what the right way to be is. We seem to have a conceptual understanding of what is effective, what we should do, how we should be. We speak about peace and enlightenment. We even nowadays, it's part of the conversation. Oh, we're infinite formlessness manifested through a human body. We can say that. In fact, we can read it on an Instagram quote and we can like it and we can reshare it and we can conceptually understand these things. And yet, Is that understanding having any kind of impact on how we actually end up being when you're with your partner in the kitchen, when you're a political leader and you're running the country, when you are in in a conversation on Instagram? Do these conceptual understandings, even though we understand these things, is it really having a fundamental impact on who we actually are being in our everyday life. And that is 
the most important piece that something may be having us or taking us over, the understanding of it is not enough to create a fundamental enough change, a shift. If you listen to episode one, the shift in the magnet. So what is it that has us? Why does it keep repeating? And why is it defined so much about our life? And that's what we're going to go into. So the body, the mind, and the identity, all intertwined as one way of being. The story, who you think yourself to be, me. So the body and the mind are not separate. Often we will live our lives dealing with them as two separate domains, two separate relationships. I'm going to do my affirmations to deal with my thoughts, and then I'm going to do my body work to deal with my body. Or maybe you'll just deal with your body, or maybe you'll just deal with your mind, but they are not separate. The body and the mind are one. They work as one. They are intertwined in how they function. And together, they give us a full body-mind sensory experience of who we experience ourselves as and how the world appears to us. They are essentially one, two sides of the same coin. They are distinct but not separate. And the body-mind, our current relationship with body-mind has certain blind spots in it. When we feel and we're flooded with feeling and thoughts, we live in a blind spot as if that is real and true and the way it is that then gives us our set of possibilities that appear to us and our actions or reactions and behaviors and ways of being. But we have a strange experience, sorry, we have a strange relationship with with experience, don't we, as human beings? Firstly, we don't live in the experience of life. We live in the story and the meanings that we make about the experience. I remember my osteopath saying to me quite a few months ago now, she said, Nikki, do you think that if we felt everything without any suppression, without any control, without any management, if we really truly allowed the human experience to flow through us without any kind of attachment or management or suppression or control, would we find it painful? And I thought about it for a while and I said, no, it would be beautiful. It would be It would be pure life moving through us. But we don't live in the experience of life. The mind jumps in and makes up all these stories and meanings and judgments and attachments to the experience moving through us. And then we get lost in that, the stories and the meanings and the judgments and the projections 
about the experience. Oh, I'm sad. But why are you sad? And you shouldn't be sad. You're such a failure. You're such a weaker. You see every weakness. You're, every time you're sad, you feel like this. And that means that you're like this and you shouldn't. Oh, and then that, and then you're in the story and the meaning about it. And then that gives you your whole choices that you're, how you're going to be today. Or you have an experience of confusion moving through you. Oh, you shouldn't be confused. You need to work this out. My God, you need to try harder. Might you see if anybody finds out that you're confused? Can you hear the, like the flooding of the mental noise that floods the human experience? And then we're lost in this entanglement of story and meaning that is projected on the life. And from that place, we're looking for this thing called life. And we're looking for this thing called aliveness, and we're wondering why we can't find it anywhere. So we have a strange current relationship with experience. Maybe strange isn't the right word, because there's I don't mean that judgmentally. I mean it as in it's ineffective. It's not giving us what we want. In fact, it's taking us further away from what we want. We resist experience. We resist it by making up stories and, and getting lost in the stories and the projections and the meaning given by the mind. And have you also noticed that there is an entire emotional kind of energetic experience of how you know yourself that also comes with mental thoughts? The When I think of of who I was being before I came into this work, there was a familiarity and a repetitiveness that was consistently showing up in my life. No matter how many times I tried to do better or how to, how to achieve good things or how to manifest good things, I always, always ended up back experiencing this extraordinary low self-worth, worthlessness, which would come with this kind of heavy density of what's the point. And then that would come with a flooding of mental noise of you're such a failure and you shouldn't let anybody know about you. You don't deserve good things. And, and it was so familiar to me that I would just say, call this me. What's wrong with me? I would say. What's wrong with me? Without really realizing what I was saying. What is wrong with me? Have you ever asked yourself that? Well, me, who is me? What is me? The me that I'm questioning what is wrong with me seems to come with a flooding of emotional pain and this kind of heavy density that kind of stops me from having any aliveness or energy, flooded with this shame and guilt, and then these mental thoughts. And it is consistent and repetitive and familiar, even to the point that last week I had a big talk to give. It was very exciting. I was all ready to give the talk. And one hour before the talk, I'm sitting on my yoga mat, and there it is again, the flooding of the heaviness and the density and the emotions of fear and panic and shame and worthlessness. And then the thoughts come in and I'm like, oh, maybe I should reschedule the talk. 
maybe I should cancel. And I'm like, whoa, there it is again. The same old magnetic familiar pull to be me, me, the story, the one who I thought I was. Well, I showed up for the talk and I did an epic talk and it was amazing and I loved it and I felt like flying afterwards. But what allowed me to show up for the talk was I had a certain level of consciousness over this body, mind, sensory overload, magnetic, familiar pull to return to a way of being that I am familiar with and that I know myself and I call that way of being me. This is not just about my personal experience. This is universal to the human condition. This is relatable to you and to everyone that is human. So what actually is happening? What is it that's happening? Well, firstly, let's let's dive into this technically. The mind, the human mind, we we have a, a pretty extraordinary human mind. We have, a, we have a, a certain mind that gives us a way of being that is different to a cat or a tree or a dog. The human mind has the ability to see itself, to reflect on itself. That's why you are constantly going, well, what's wrong with me? And why am I so fat? And why am I late today? And why am I never making that money? And what, oh, but look at that. There's this constant self-reflection on oneself. My cat does not have that same mind. My cat has a mind, but my cat doesn't have a concern about himself. My cat's mind is not wondering if he's put on too much weight today. My cat doesn't come in wondering if he's late today and if he should be punished for that. My cat is not concerned about these things, nor is the extraordinary tree that is out on my land. The tree is just being a tree. But we as human beings, we have a human mind that reflects on itself. Now that is the source and the root to extraordinary levels of suffering and the root of the human condition but it is also the gateway for infinite potential. We are the only species, we are the only animal in the animal kingdom, and we are an animal, that has this mind that has the ability to shift its own consciousness. That when you can see your own self and who you are being, you have the ability to shift your own perception of who you are. That's extraordinary. We're the only animal in the animal kingdom that has a mind that has the ability to shift and evolve in its own consciousness. So the very root that is the absolute source of our greatest suffering as a species, have you ever met a human being that isn't caught in that little voice? It's actually part of the design of being human. We as human beings, we come with a head, two arms, two legs, and a little voice. In any program I've ever led, if, with every person I've ever worked with, I've never met a human being that doesn't have a little voice. And even when you're meditating and it goes really, really quiet, 
And you think, wow, I really, really went quiet today. Well, who said it? <laughs> who, who noticed who went quiet? <laughs> that little voice. That little voice is consistent to the design of the being of human being. A head, two arms, two legs, and the little voice. The mind is a survival mechanism, is led by a survival mechanism. It is a pattern recognition device machine. In fact, the only design function of the human mind is to help us survive long enough that we can procreate. It's not romantic. It's absolutely ruthlessly efficient in helping us survive. It's designed and driven by survival. And we, as human beings, live in a blind spot as if that little voice is somehow us speaking. And then we judge the little voice ourselves for having that little voice. And then we try to control that little voice. And then we try to manage the little voice. And then we try to put good positive thoughts on top of the little voice, which is basically just a whole load of positive thoughts on top of a load of shit ones. And we do all sorts of things to try and manage and control and judge the little voice. But it's a blind spot that somehow the little voice is personal. Oh, there I go again, thinking all these things. But if it was really you thinking, wouldn't you be able to stop the thinking? If it was really you thinking, wouldn't you be able to stop the thinking? Try it right now. Don't think. No, no, don't think anything. No, don't think anything at all. Do you notice how you can't? We can't. The little voice is a mechanical flooding of thoughts given by the past of whatever is in, in the memory bank. They're just a constant stream of thoughts. In fact, I read somewhere that the mind has 80,000 thoughts that cross it every 24 hours. 80,000! It's mechanical. It's repetitive. It's not even personal. It's just a constant stream of, am I going to be good enough? My little voice is going right now. Is she going to be, are they, are they going to hate me? And is this stupid? And does she sound like an idiot? <laughs> it's not personal, but we live as if it is. And we get absolutely driven by it and led by it and identified with it and, and, and run by it. We are not thinking. Predominantly, until we bring consciousness to this relationship with our mind, maturity, until we outgrow our current way of being with the human mind and grow into a new relationship with the human mind, then we are getting lost in the blind spot. And the mind has us rather than we have a mind. We are not thinking. We are being thought. We are thoughting. And those streams of thoughts that are thoughting us, thoughting you, are given to you by the, your past. 
And as long as you are thinking that you are thinking, your past is living your world. Let me say that again. As long as you are thinking that you are thinking, your past is living your world. We are not thinking, we are being thought. The little voice is a thoughting machine given to us by the past, the memory bank. Everything absorbed and heard and listened to and, and every experience, it's the past, the memory bank. The same is with emotions. You know, the brain is connected to the nervous system and the nervous system is like a memory absorbing, an experiential memory device, machine, absorbed every single emotional experience or experience that we've had from the day we were born and that is stored as memory. And the nervous system's function is to create balance, to create a homeostasis in the body. But what if your homeostasis has nothing to do with balance, but has everything to do with returning back to whatever is familiar? Remember I said, same old familiar me comes with emotions, and experiential textual sensory experiences and mental noise, body-mind. So if the mind's only design function is to help us survive, what are the memories that you think the human mind will attach to, hook onto, as the most relevant and important memories to store? Well, perceived points of threat. Any point of threat that we had to survive, and that can be anything from heartbreak to disappointment to abandonment to not being able to fit in in your family dynamic to being the quiet one, you know, whatever it is as a child, those perceived points of threat are stored in the body-mind as frozen moments in time. And the mind runs them over and over and over and over and over again because it is a perceived point of threat that you survived in that moment. In everyone I've ever worked with, I've never met a single human being that hasn't had at least one, if not multiple, frozen moments of time of the past that the mind and the body has hooked onto and is quite literally repeating over and over again, no matter how old we get and how much we try to change. So let me talk about what's actually happening that's creating the repeating. Let me give you an example. You can only have an experience in the present moment. Really let that in. Experience can only be experience in the present. The moment you're no longer in the present of the experience, no, the moment you're no longer in now, the experience becomes memory. Even a multi-millisecond after now, it is stored as experiential memory. And the mind will hook onto whatever those experiences that were perceived points of threat 
and store it, wire it as a moment in time that you survived. And it will literally freeze. It will be frozen in time and just continually repeat. So I'll give you an example. Mom is pushing a baby in a buggy and the baby is playing with a doll in the buggy. And then mom stops to talk to a friend and baby drops the doll and starts to cry. In fact, the baby is crying hysterically. Mum doesn't realize that she's dropped the doll, stops talking to her friend and tries to console the child. But nothing that the child is able to express is helping the mum see what the child is trying to say. So the mum doesn't know how to stop this, doesn't quite understand what's going on. So says to the friend, I got to go now and pushes the baby off or the baby's still trying to communicate that she's dropped the doll. And then gets pushed off and the doll's left in the street. Now I use that example because it's trivial. It's not a a major moment of trauma. It's This is not just about big violent trauma. This is about survival. And so in that exact moment of now, the child is flooded with sadness and confusion and frustration and this longing and need to try to communicate and be heard and the the heartbreak of not being able to, to communicate and the doll's been lost. And the literally the emotional experience is flooding her body and the the difficulty of the mum not being able to hear her, a concept is stored, a story, a, a story that is made by the mind about that experience. Nobody hears me. I'll never be heard. Now, I use that example because it's most people think that perceived points of threat are just like violent abuse. No. To not be able to communicate and be heard is an existential crisis for a human being, for a child. So in that moment, the flooding of all those different emotions and the experience of that not being able to get the mother to understand and the frustration of it is entangled and wired in the neural pathways with the concept, the story, nobody hears me. And that is stored in the neural pathways, not as memory, not as, oh, the body's experiencing and and, um, is storing memory. It is stored in the neural pathways as the way it is, as reality, as a representation of what is real and true as who she is starting to know herself to be, as a sense of self, a representation of sense of self. And the mind is a pattern recognition device. So any time from that point onwards that the mind recognizes, recognizes anything remotely similar, being in the classroom, when she's six years old and the teacher calls on her to speak about her homework that day. The mind is a pattern recognition device, quite literally, familiar, 
the flooding of the same emotion, the confusion, the frustration, the panic, the sadness with you, nobody hears you, literally floods. The past is flooding the present and coloring how she sees her world. And then what do you think that gives her? That gives her reactions on how to behave. Maybe she's, she starts to suppress her voice and she holds her breath. Maybe she does the opposite and she tries to overcompensate and is going to be, I will be heard and becomes loud and extrovert. It gives an entire set of behaviors and actions and reactions and choices. And then it happens again. Anything that is remotely similar, it happens again. And then that gives even more behaviors and actions and choices. And then it happens again and again and again until it just gives that human being an entire way of being the one who's always making sure that I will be heard in the world and everything I do in my life is driven by making sure that I will be heard. Well, who even needs to try so hard to be heard? Someone who doesn't believe they'll be heard. Or the opposite. That whole human being is lived by an entire way of being of where she can't use her voice and she always already knows that anytime she tries to speak, no one will hear her. The neural pathways is stored as the way it is, as the representation of reality. And we live in that blind spot given to us by this, this body-mind entanglement, frozen moment in time that is mechanically repeating because the, the mind is mechanical. It's a pattern recognition device. That is why every single time you try to be seen, you have the same flooding of experience that gives you your way of being or you're in a relationship or you're, or you're with your boss it's mechanical. You aren't doing it. It's doing you. And the blind spot is, is that the past is getting entangled with the present. And we live as if it is real and true and happening now. That is why in every single one of my relationships, I never felt heard. I always felt like my needs weren't going to be met and I had to leave and find someone better mechanically, always, always, it's mechanical, but we don't know that and we don't live like that. And so the beginnings of even seeing a blind spot is the beginnings of it no longer having that grip and power over us. And that is the power of the body, the mind, that gives us our identity. And when you look at our world today and you look at how reactive the world has become, how reactive with cancel culture and gaslighting and these massive like reactive emotional fights of, of claiming identity, it's like you just have a look at the whole thing. 
And really, like, what is it that's living us that is running the show? And when we are driven by survival, all we can create is more survival. It's like we're stepping into the future, bringing the past with us everywhere we go, and we don't realize it. It's a blind spot. You're not doing anything wrong. You just haven't been educated to realize that this is living you and is blocking your potential. It's actually blinding you from being able to see any other possibilities or choices other than what your past will give you. And that is a crime because you have so much potential. You are infinite in your potential and the possibilities available to you, but it won't become available to you until we shift where we're seeing from, until we outgrow where the past is flooding and coloring our present or outgrow our attachment to me, to the story, to the one that we think we are. So I'm going to leave you with a question, an inquiry. Go away and write down a moment recently where you were really charged, really activated, and write on a piece of paper what was flooding through your body. Like write it down, shame, sadness, fear, anger, frustration. What temperature was it? Was it hot? Was it cold? Describe it in as much detail sensorily as you can. It was tight. It was dense. It was contracting. It was fluttery. And then write down what were the emotions attached to it. Grief, anger, right self-righteousness. That's not really an emotion. But the need to be right. And then what are the thoughts? What were the thoughts attached to it? Write it down. Bring out of the shadows the body, mind, experience that was taking place and blinding you as if it was real and true and happening now. Write it down and then go back and look back at three other times that you were highly activated and write down the emotional, what was in the body, what was the sensory experience, what was the temperature, what were the emotions, what were the thoughts, and see if there were any similarities. When you are absolutely sure it was your boss, when you are absolutely sure it was your partner, when you are absolutely sure it was someone on Instagram that was making this happen, well, write it down and see if you can see what's actually repeating. What is repeating is not happening out there. What is repeating is happening within us. It's being generated within the body and the mind, and that is giving us how we see and experience out there. I know it feels like it's not enough, but the only way to start piercing the blind spot is to see it, really see it. That is the beginning of the dissolving of the grip and the power that it has over you. And that's the beginning of an opening, of, a, of an evolution in your perception. 
These are really, really important conversations because this is not just you. This is human being. This is a human problem. And it's blocking us from our extraordinary power and potential. And that's why we keep repeating the past. The past is just repeating over and over again, not just individually in, in your, your life, but as a collective. And we are at a time in consciousness right now where we are evolving as a species. And it begins with you and your own consciousness of your oneself and your willingness to look at your oneself and, and take ownership of who you've been being and what has been living you. That really is the beginning of power, gaining, reclaiming power. So I hope that you found this useful. Please write any comments below the video of any aha moments that come for you, any seeings, insights, anything you want to share. We love receiving your comments. Uh, you can write to us at support at nikkiclinch.com if you want to share anything with us or write any um, comments or ask any questions. And if this episode or this podcast has been useful and is useful for you, please do share it with your friends or family or anyone that you feel may benefit from listening to this and these teachings. And what would be the most amazing help is to also go to Apple and write a review and give us a star rating because that is the best way to ensure that this podcast reaches as many people as possible. So if this is helping you in any way, that would be the greatest gift that you can give me. So thank you so much for listening. I'm Nikki Clinch, and this is the Infinite Potential of Being Human podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the Infinite Potential of Being Human podcast with Nikki Clinch. That's me, your host. If you are interested in understanding in a much more deeper way why we are the way we are as human beings, why your life unfolds the way it does, and how to access this extraordinary power and potential that is already there within you, within all of us actually, that you are curious and interested in how to access it, how to embody it, and how to start living it. And whilst discovering all these things about us as human beings and our infinite potential of being human, hopefully answering some unanswered questions as to what is happening in our world today. If this is what is calling you, then please do download our free three-day masterclass, Breaking the Cycle of Repeating Patterns in Your Life, Relationships and Business. Or you can head to our website, www.nikkiclinch.com and enjoy yourself with all the information, checking out the courses and the workshops and our offerings on there. Thank you so much for listening.